freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Good morning, culminators. Ron Coleman here. I've got Alan West coming in. I assume you're you're at home in Texas now? Yeah, I am at home in Texas, but I'm on the road. I spoke yesterday in Houston, and as soon as I finish with the interview, I'm going to bug out of the hotel room here and head up to Austin. So it's good to be with you, Ron, and happy Thanksgiving My pleasure. to you and your listening audience. Thanks a lot. So you're, the story here is that you were running for governor of Texas. Is that not the story? I guess that is the story. Uh, I was the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. And on Independence Day of this year, I decided to run for governor and uh, has stepped down from being the, the party chairman. Because when I look at some of the challenges that we have here in Texas, I think it's uh, the opportunity for people to look at a different uh, type of leadership. I mean, uh, so when you say a different type of leadership, what is it you've got in mind? You have something specific in mind. Well, sure. I think first and foremost, when you look at what is happening on our border and how it affects everyone across the United States of America, you know, we just got the numbers and we have a record high for drug overdoses in America, over 100,000. And our border is porous. It is wide open. And the cartels are bringing over fentanyl, methamphetamine, marijuana, and everything. You know that uh, we have a problem in the United States of America with human and sex trafficking, especially human trafficking. And we just saw up there in New York, you had airplanes that landed in the middle of the night with illegal immigrant miners who uh, boarded those airplanes here in Texas. Texas right now is the number one state in America for human and sex trafficking. Uh, I live just outside Dallas. And like I said yesterday, I was in Houston. Dallas and Houston are the top two cities in the country for sex trafficking. And then of course, the public health crisis, I found it you know, quite uh, unconscionable that the president of the United States of America says that all American citizens must get a jab in the arm, but hundreds of thousands are coming across the border here illegally into Texas and being farmed out across the country. And they're not being mandated to get anything stuck in their arms. So those are some of the things that need to happen. And I think that we need to have stronger leadership in Texas to protect not just Texas, but America. Well, that's, I mean, I think that that's really the question, isn't it? Is Texas really able, even asserting its most vigorous sovereignty as a state, is it, do you believe that it's able to do more when the federal government is so determined to prevent effective policy on all the issues that you're talking well, about. Well, absolutely right. And that's the brilliance of the founding fathers. You know, we live in a constitutional republic. And really, when you think about the foundation of this republic, the American republic, is with the power at the state level. And that's why the very last amendment in our first uh, 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, it states that all those powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. So when you read the Constitution in Article 4, Section 4, which is called the Guarantee Clause, there are two things that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union. Number one, a Republican form of government. Number two, to protect every state in the union from invasion. Well, I will tell you, Ron, that I would never have thought in my 22 years in the Army that I would see 
uh, a federal government that would abdicate its constitutional duty and responsibility to protect uh, th this country and, and to protect the sovereignty of this country and its states. And so the founding fathers believed that if that ever were to happen, that the federal government would not abide by the guarantee clause in Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3 of the Constitution, it says exactly what states can do if actually invaded when there's imminent danger without any admit of delay. So we have that ability by way of the United States Constitution. It's a, you know, it's something that hasn't been tested, as far as I know, in the, in the, in the, in the courts. And we, the, you know, the, the federal judiciary in Texas has not necessarily been all that consistent. Nonetheless, you, you feel that the issue has to be pressed, I imagine. Well, it has to be pressed because we're talking about the sovereignty of a state. We're talking about the safety and security of Texans and also to Americans. I mean, we're talking about a national security threat when you have close to 100 nations uh, people that have been apprehended, and I say apprehended, which means that they're not being uh, deported, they're being processed and they're being released into the country. So I think it's very important that we stand up and say if the federal government is going to abdicate its constitutional duty and responsibility, the state has the duty and responsibility to fill that gap to protect its citizens. And when you go down along the border, I've been down there about eight or nine times, and you just last week I was in Alpine, Texas, in Brewster County, they have 192 miles that they share with Mexico. And guess what? The ranchers, they, they live in fear. They live in terror. You have people that, you know, if they want to go for a walk, they have to go for a walk armed on their own ranch. You have uh, their, their cattle, their livestock being, uh, being killed and murdered. Uh, the, the amount of trash uh, that is out there and the pollution, where are the environmentalists talking about the destruction of the Big Bend National Park area? So we have a huge issue and no one should be living in terror every night, uh, fearing that someone's gonna come and kick in their, the door of their house and ransack their kitchen. And these are not necessarily all or even mostly Mexicans who are coming in over this border, are no, they? No, they're not. And like I said, we are talking about up to 150 different nations where people have been apprehended. And of course, everyone saw what was going on with the Haitians. But remember those Haitians were not coming here from Haiti. They were already, you know, ex expatriates living in South America or Central America. But, you know, when you talk about asylum, political asylum means that you stop in the first country that you come to and you ask for the asylum. You don't traverse, you know, four or five different countries and say, well, this is the one that I, I want to, uh, to find asylum in. And so we cannot have this open borders policy because it is unconstitutional. And it uh, undermines the safety and security uh, and the sovereignty of our, our respective states. It really feels, doesn't it, as if there is a real constitutional crisis that there, not only the way you're describing it, but that issues are coming to a head between what you're describing and the sort of initiatives that you seem to have in mind and what uh, Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida, which sounds like the sort of program you have in mind for Texas. Um, there's going to, there's definitely going to be a showdown yeah. at some point or another. It has to be. There has to be a showdown because if there is not, what you are saying is that America is no longer a constitutional republic, it's a constitutional monarchy. And therefore, you know, someone can stand up and just rule over us by edict, order, mandate, and decree. And so you cannot, as the president of the United States of America say by executive order, we're going to have open borders. Uh, I mean, you want to talk 
reason. You want to talk about high crimes and misdemeanors. You want to talk about an impeachable uh, offense. You know, I was just a paratrooper in the army, but I could see that clearly uh, any day. And so if we ever get to this point where we say that the federal government does not have to abide by the Constitution, which is our rule of law, um, then what happens at the state level? And there are those that will say, well, the federal government, whatever they do, they're, they're supreme over the states. When you talk about the federal government being supreme over the states, you have to read the supremacy clause. And there are two words in the supremacy clause that says pursuant thereof. The federal government is supreme over the states as long as they're doing the things that are pursuant thereof to the Constitution, our rule of law. When they're violating the rule of law, they are not supreme over our states. And that's exactly the constitutional crisis that we have, Ron in that a federal government that is saying, we're just going to allow illegals to come in here. We're not going to do anything to them. As a matter of fact, we're gonna give federal grants to non-governmental organizations that are just going to be travel agencies for these illegals, give them 1,300 to $1,400 of taxpayer money and put them on airplanes on federal military installations within a sovereign state and fly them out to other states. This is a huge crisis. I think you're getting to something else too, which is not only the not only the disregard. I mean, there are a couple of really important issues. One of them is the, the executive branch, not only at the federal level but also at the state levels, have been permitted over the last five years to announce that there are certain laws they're simply not going to enforce anymore. And of course, everyone is particularly familiar with the issue of attorneys general. Uh, be, being elected on platforms of here are the laws we're going to disregard, which is an extraordinary shift in terms of constitutional thinking of how law works. Laws are enacted by legislatures. Yes. District attorneys have discretion, but not discretion for purposes of ruling out entire categories of, 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 uh, crime, but rather administratively and practically and tactically. So we, we've got problem number one, and it's not unique to it's not unique to the federal government. And then we have the question of federalism, mm -hmm. yeah. which is, as you know, as you say, if the federal government isn't doing its job. At that point, it really ceases to be a federal government it becomes a national government. Yes. I think very few people much younger than we are remember have any concept really of what states really are they're not merely subdivisions like you know a county within a state the idea is that the states are supposed to be sovereign that, that they're supposed to be able to make their own decisions the nationalization of everything and the centralized decision making from the white house is something that that's really got a give you some pause. Well, it does, Ron. And what you just described is the essence of socialism. Uh, one of the tenets of socialism is to nationalize economic production. And you just said you nationalize everything. And so when you read the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson said these free and independent states created the United States of America. And so when we talk about America, we should not say the United States of America, we should say these United States of America, because you have to respect the sovereignty of those states. And it's interesting because you and I are having a great topic uh, discussion about civics. Uh, we know that we don't teach civics. 
most people don't understand the three branches of government. They're, you know, responsive uh, duties, uh, duties and responsibilities. And so now all of a sudden you have courts that believe that they can make law. You have executives that believe they can make law. And what you end up finding out is the legislative branch, which is supposed to be where the laws are made, they're not making law. They're just reacting to everything else that everyone is doing. So great case in point, look at what just happened up in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And it shows once again, here's a person that has a long track record of violating the law, but yet we have individuals, in the case of a judge and DAs or what have you, that are, you know, well, you know, they should be let go. Well, that's not how the law is supposed to operate. You know, here in Texas, we have these district attorneys that are saying that we're not going to prosecute any crime that is at or below uh, $750 of monetary worth. So what does that tell a criminal? That I can go out there and have free reign. And so one of the books that I think that, uh, or an essay that I think that your listeners, and, and I have you know, benefited from it countless times, is going back and reading the essay by the French economist Frederick Bastiat called The Law. And when you read the law, you understand what that relationship is between the individual and the institution of government and why we do have government is that's to protect the life, the liberty and property, which is what John Locke wrote about in the second treatise of government in 1689. That's the purpose of the government, not to go out there with their own ideological agenda. And then they make the law subservient to their ideological agenda. And that's what is happening with our border. Our Constitution, which clearly states what's supposed to be happening with our sovereignty, has been made subservient to an ideological agenda. You also mentioned, you know, talking about Waukesha, the awful, awful story out of Waukesha. Yesterday morning, we learned, we, and I, I was looking for the tweet now, but I, I don't want to do it while talking to you. The name of the agent, apparently is a federal agency or bureau within the FBI that has the job of telling local law enforcement what to say and what not to say after an incident like happened in Waukesha mm -hmm. in order to make sure that there's the facts that are revealed don't inflame hate yeah. speech and 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 uh, F, uh, anger directed at the wrong people. And this explains apparently, in other words, you, you have these sheriffs or police chiefs come out and describe obvious acts of hate. And, you know, the word terrorism, <clears throat> I don't really care whether you call something terrorism or not. But if you've got a black man plowing his way through a crowd of white people, or if you've got a white man plowing his way through a crowd of black people, Whatever the case may be, everyone knows what's going on, but these police officials are apparently being told by the FBI and they're apparently listening to them. And I don't know if it what the I don't know what the carrot and stick is here, not to describe what everyone knows to be the case and what anyone with eyes in his head sees as the case. And all of a sudden we stop hearing that, you know, and the, the one of the themes of of this uh, podcast is censorship. Yeah. We stop hearing about the inconvenient facts about certain high, you know, high profile crimes. What, 
What's going on? Do you have any? Have you? Do you know any more about this than, than I've just described? Because if, if so, I would love to hear about it. Well, I will tell you what you just brought up was it, where my mind first went because I thought about what had happened in Nice, France, where the truck went through the uh, the Christmas uh, celebrations there. I thought about what has happened in Germany during a Christmas celebration, and also uh, in England, where you know jihadists had used vehicles, and it also happened at Ohio State University, where Somali. Uh, jihadists used a car to run over students, and there was a campus police officer that neutralized that target. But go back and remember, uh, I believe it was uh, 2009, if I'm correct, Nadal Hassan at Fort uh, Hood, Texas. That was my last duty assignment. And so Nadal Hassan, who everyone Work, work related violence, work, right? Workplace violence. violence. But here's a person that stood up on a table shouting, Allahu Akbar, as he gunned down 13 uh, American soldiers and DA civilians and wounded another 31. But yet we were told we could not look at it as Islamic terrorism. Or you look at what happened during the Christmas uh, celebration in San Bernardino, California, where uh, Tash. Tash Tash, uh, Saeed Farouk and his wife, uh, Tashfeen Malik, I think it was her name, uh, they gunned down people at a Christmas celebration, but we couldn't talk about that as being Islamic terrorism. So I'm very concerned because it seems like we're getting to the, the Orwell book, 1984, where people are telling us what we can think, what uh, is the right speech, uh, and all of these different things. And you look at what is going on on these social media platforms. Think about this. There was a mother of one of those Marines that lost his life in Afghanistan, which should not have happened. I mean, I spent two and a half years in Afghanistan, but yet a social media platform deplatformed her because she expressed her feelings about the loss of her child in Afghanistan. And so how do we get to these point where, where we have people that are telling us how we can think, how we can express ourselves, uh, the speech we have, and again, this is a complete violation of our constitutional rights. The very first rights that we have in our Bill, Bill of Rights. Uh, we saw what happened uh, when we entered into COVID. What was the first thing the governments tried to shut down, even down at the state and local level? Our churches, our synagogues. That's the freedom of religion and the free exercise thereof is your very first liberty in your uh, First Amendment. And so again, it comes back to this constitutional crisis where people think that they're acting on our better behalf but what they're actually doing is they're undermining, supplanting our, our liberties, our freedoms, our rights, and they're violating the rule of law. And so if the Constitution means that you do not have the right to be able to you know, express yourself or speech, or you don't have the right to be able to think, or people are going to control the information that you are receiving because they don't want you to think a different way than what they want you to think, this is part of that big crisis, Ron, that we're talking about here in America. And when I went to East Berlin back in 1985 as a young lieutenant, I would have never thought the things that I saw in East Berlin, I would be seeing in America. It is, it is chilling. And, and, you know, there's a point where it sounds like paranoia. And there's a point where it's, you start seeing things that look like odd coincidences. And then there's a point where you start seeing outright parallels. Mm -hmm. And we always had this confidence that there would at least be the media, the press to sound the alarm on this. And instead they've just been entirely subsumed 
by the powers that be. How are they treating they're, you? Well, the media, they're enablers of it. And the thing is, uh, we have seen this happen over time that, you know, every single school of journalism on our major university campuses and colleges, they've been taken over by progressive leftism and socialism and Marxism. And so when people talk about critical race theory or cultural competency action plan, this is cultural Marxism. And it is a Marxism that is, you know, not based upon socioeconomic division, but rather racial division. And so, you know, as far as how does the media treat me, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting back worried about how the media is treating me. I'm gonna stand on what is true and what is right. And uh, I know that there are some people over on MSNBC that they get pretty upset but they won't have me on their show and they don't want to debate the facts and the issues. And I think that that's what we have to continue to do. Every single person in America has the potential now to be a media source with the iPad. Yeah, so this is an it's an amazing thing. And we, ha we have, and you, know, you can have a, tw a tweet that goes viral and, and has millions of impressions. And so far that can still happen. Let me let me actually share a screen with you for a minute before you know we run out of time. I found this discussion that I was looking for. So the, the, the subject tweet there is in this breaking 9-11 um, tweet where it says, you know, the basic facts of the terrible event, and then motive remains under investigation. <laughs> okay, so so the last refuge who's a who, you know doesn't doesn't uh mince any words. This is pre-scripted code speak for we cannot release any information until DOG FBI grants permission. You've heard that exact script before numerous times. DOG CRS, Community Relations Service. Look it up, he says. And he looks it up. CRS is a federal agency dedicated to working with community groups to blah, 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 gender identity, blah, blah, blah. They tell Twitter to delete content. Mm -hmm. So this tweet by my friend Alex Salvi was removed. Yep. This is frightening. Do you think there's any role for the governors of states to push back on this yeah, stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely, there is a role. And I think that it's so important, especially here, what we see happening in Texas is, is, is kind of hypocritical that you have these social media companies that are sick and tired of the economic policies in California. So what did they do? They pick up and they move her to Texas. Uh, and, and then what they do is they continue to be, uh, you know, privy to, you know, censoring people and deplatforming people. I mean, we got Google, Oracle, all of these, and they're moving down into Austin, Texas. And Austin, Texas, think about this, uh, Ron, they defunded their police in Austin, Texas by $150 million. They have seen a 66% increase in violent crime, a 71% increase in homicides. You don't even, they have told you, don't call us on 911 for certain types of, uh, of emergencies, call 311. But yet, 60 Minutes just did a segment on Austin, Texas called Reimagining the Police and trying to talk about how great it is what Austin, Texas has done. Uh, it is absolutely absurd. And when I was looking at that segment, there were so many lies. There were so many false uh, information that's put out there. 
but you don't see anybody from Google, Oracle, Twitter, or whatever fact checking what just was put out there. So there, if you want to talk about collusion, there is a collusion between big tech and 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 the government, federal government, and really that is a, a scary perspective for me because it reminds me of the old East German Stasi state that existed uh, and was there that I saw when I went through in East Berlin. So governors have to be able to protect the, that freedom of speech. And I know in Florida, Ron DeSantis has come out and allowed people to be able to come together and file class action lawsuits. I think the same either North Dakota, South Dakota. And that's something that we should be doing here in Texas, especially when we have all of these big tech platforms that want to come here and take advantage of the policies and the programs that we have here in the state of Texas. And we should tell them, if you want to be part of this fascist movement to suppress free speech, then you should probably stay in California or wherever it is that you are and don't come here and try to do the exact same thing in a state that believes in individual rights, freedoms, and liberty. You know, I want to also plant something in your head that I've been advocating for a very long time because you are going to be governor, very possibly. And that is the idea that there is a fraud component, in particular consumer fraud component, with what these platforms do. They, they give consumers the impression that there is a set of rules, all they have to do is follow them, and they can now sp spend time, spend resources, spend money building presence on, on the, building a presence on, on their platform inviting their friends and family to use the platform, to use the platform more, adding content, making the platform richer and more valuable to the platform in return for what? In return for continued use of the platform as long as they follow the rules. Then we find out that the rules are not rules at all. They're pretexts. They're not enforced with any sort of regularity or consistency. No. That is what in consumer law would under any other circumstances be known as a deceptive practice. And I, you know, there was one point where I thought Tom Paxton was going to take some kind of action uh, along those lines, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but right now the censorship, you know, continues unabated. And now you have this, this hands-on involvement by the federal government, and it's pretty scary. It is very scary. And I think as in all things in politics, you follow the money. Uh, because a lot of these big tech corporations are writing campaign checks to politicians to turn the blind eye. The people that suffer are, like you just said, the, the law-abiding American citizen. But what we have now, of course, everyone remembers the old Peanuts uh, cartoon segment where Charlie Brown lines up to kick the football and Lucy you know, moves the football. This is not about moving the football. It's about moving the goalposts. So no matter how well you can kick the field goal, the goalpost is going to continue to be moved uh, while the ball is up in the air traveling to where you intended it to go. And so, again, we need to enable citizens to be able to come together and bring this up in class action lawsuits and say that, you know, what you're doing is a deceptive practice. You were telling me, yeah, there you go. You were telling me that. You know, I can come on, I can post this information, this information is factual, but now you're telling me that you're the ones that decide whether or not it's harmful or whether it's good, even though it's factual, and that's even already happening. So these people are lording over us with a little lord, like feudal lords out there, and they're starting to see us more so as serfs and not as citizens. 
Well, that's, I think, an important point also. I mean, one thing that, that is really becoming more and more obvious is that there is a, an elite. Yeah. And in many cases, this elite includes governors of states to whom the rules don't apply, for whom there is no accountability when they don't follow the rules, and who are being permitted mostly by legislatures, but often by judges, and in many cases by both, to rule states unilaterally by decree. No, you're right. And we saw that happen here in Texas with uh, Governor Abbott uh, when he shut down the state. And, you know, after 30 days, you're supposed to call the legislature in for any uh, other type of actions because it has to go through the legislative process. He didn't do that. And so he changed the election law from two weeks of early voting to three weeks of early voting. He appropriated taxpayer money to a single source uh, contract bid, MTX Corporation, for contact tracing, $290 million. And so we are starting to see people that are ruling us, like I said, by edict, order, mandate, and decree, and not governing over us. But you really hit on something, Ron, when you talked about you know, the, 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 the new Politburo. I call it the American Politburo because there's a cut line and everyone above the cut line, they don't have to abide by the rule of law, only the people below it. And, and so we're instituting a new feudal system. But in November 2020, what the real story was and not a lot of people talking about, you had governors, you had secretaries of state, you had judges that did unconstitutional actions in changing election law in their respective states, being in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona. And the legislature sat back with their thumbs up there, you know what, and allowed it to happen. And, and, and what was interesting is that when you tried to bring that up to the Supreme Court, what did they do? They said they don't want to hear the case. And so we have a complete breakdown of our you know, three branches of government, the checks and balances, the, the co-equal branches, all of these things, the separation of powers, everyone's just out there all you know, going all for what they want and the rule of law is suffering. People are ruling by their own ideological agendas over what they feel that they want to do. And that without a doubt is a crack in the foundation of America. Now, how long have you lived in Texas? I uh, lived in, have been here since uh, 2014, so seven years. But prior to that, my last duty assignment in the United States Army was here at Fort Hood, Texas. So uh, going on about 10 years that I've lived here in Texas, and uh, I really enjoy it. And one of the things I tell the folks here in Texas that, you know, I was born and raised in Georgia. I went to the University of Tennessee, and we have a very unique nickname down in Tennessee. We're called the Volunteers because of those Tennesseans that came here. And uh, there was also a former member of the United States House of Representatives by the name of Davy Crockett. And uh, history tells us he was the last person to lose his life there at the Alamo. So a uh, great relationship between my state of Georgia, where I was born and raised, the state where I got my education, University of Tennessee, and the state of Texas. And uh, I'm just another one of those Georgians in Tennessee as they're coming here to fight for liberty. You feel Texan enough to be governor of Texas? Well, absolutely, because when you think about it, the very first president of the Republic of Texas was from Tennessee, Sam Houston. The very first vice president of the Republic of Texas, Mirabeau Lamar, was from Georgia. And Mirabeau Lamar also went on to be the president of the Republic of Texas. And both of them have uh, a lot of monuments. Lamar University is named after Mirabeau Lamar. Uh, of course, Houston and Sam Houston State named after Sam Houston. And Davy Crockett, like I said, a former member of the United States House of Representatives, same as I, uh, from Tennessee. And he came here and he was only here, I think, less than about four or five months, but he gave his life for Texas. Well, Texas is, uh, an, it's a state within the union that is 
the source of a lot of immigration. It's one of, it's one of the, you know, if you can if you can manage the climate, it's one of the places that you know people are leaving the East Coast and the and the West Coast to come to. Of course, there's this problem you mentioned Austin, where they bring the bad policies that they're whose results they're fleeing from with them. Yeah. Uh, do you think the people in Austin are going to learn their lesson, or are they going to just end up? Well, it's very just finding a new, a new place. It's to very Texas is very yeah, big. It's very big. It's very interesting because uh, we just had the November elections here, and one of the propositions on the ballot in Austin was Proposition A to refund the police. And Elon Musk, who, as you know, has left California and come here to Texas, he put out a, a tweet that talked to the people in Austin: "Do not let Austin become the new San Francisco." He is the only. Uh, president CEO that's really taken that stance. And what I see happening really is what I call a locust effect there whereby, you know, progressive socialists, because California used to be a red state. They come into red states, they destroy them. And then when they destroy them and they have to all of a sudden live under the owner's policies uh, that they, you know, supported and voted for, then they go and pick up and move to a more fertile ground. And so uh, you see people, California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, they're going to Florida, they're going to Texas, they're going to strong red states. You see it in Georgia, North Carolina. But what the thing is, they cannot continue to be locusts and bring those same failed policies. And that's why I think it's so important as a governor, you tell people, we welcome you here to Texas, but we don't welcome a failed political ideology. Well, yeah, we say it, but, you know, not much you can do about it. I mean, look what happened to Virginia. Of course, Virginia is a strange case, right? Because you basically have all the people who, who work in Washington or who, who feed off the teat of Washington, who live in Northern Virginia. Um, but I suppose the idea is to try to develop a culture, a political and otherwise culture where people absorb some of the values and common sense of the places they're going. And that's to. the same thing about America. It's about assimilation. And so you saw so many people that came here from other countries to America, and they want to be a part of America and the American way of life. And I think that's the exact thing, same thing and theme that we need to uh, exert here in Texas. Remember, Texas is the only state that ever fought for and won its independence all by itself. And that's something that people should be proud of. And we've got to express that history to them. So I think it's important that people go to places like Gonzales, they go to the Alamo, they go to the San Jacinto battlefield, they go to Washington on the Brazos, and understand and learn what happened here from October of 1835 to April of 1836 and take pride in uh, being here in Texas and not just coming here and trying to make it another version of California. That I think it will never be. Alan West, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you all the best. And if you ever want to pop in again, just have your people let us know and we'll get you up whether live or otherwise. I'm sure you've got lots and lots of platforms available to you and we'll be keeping it on. Thanks so much, Ron, and happy Thanksgiving and God bless. Thanks, same to you. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.